On this episode of Decisions That Matter, Procurated CEO and founder David Yarkin and co-host Bernadette Lowney sit down with two of the most innovative procurement leaders in Pennsylvania, Jennifer Olzinger, the Assistant Director and Procurement Manager of the City of Pittsburgh, and 300 miles away in Philadelphia, Trevor Day, the Deputy Chief Administrative Officer for the City. On this episode, they share their experience working in public procurement in the age of COVID, and they tackle important topics like sustainability, social responsibility, the realities of working in centralized versus decentralized governments, and much, much more. Decisions That Matter is brought to you by Procurated. Procurated is partnering with NIGP and for a limited time, will donate $5 to the NIGP Membership Scholarship for any supplier review written on Procurated.com. And there's no limit to the number of entries. So visit Procurated's site today and share your experience working with suppliers to keep one of your peers from losing their NIGP membership. This is a great episode. I hope you really enjoy. Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. We have a very special pod today with two of my favorite procurement leaders, both of whom are from Pennsylvania. So we have Trevor Day from the great city of Philadelphia, my former employer, and Jennifer Olsinger from the opposite side of the state, uh, the great city of Pittsburgh. And we're going to have a really interesting conversation today about public procurement in the age of COVID, leaving COVID with so many issues that everyone in procurement is facing, and we'll get a little bit of a, an Eastern Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania perspective on it. So really excited for today's conversation. Uh, why don't we start with some introductions? Trevor, uh, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, good afternoon. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, I just wanted to like give you a little bit of background on, on me. Uh, you know, I spent three years as the procurement commissioner, and before that, you know, several years working in procurement and contracts. And you know, I now work for the, the chief administrative office or the office of the chief administrative officer, which is a mouthful. And uh, the CAO, as we affectionately call it, is has oversight of some of the administrative functions of the city of Philadelphia, you know, specifically around contracting, but also procurement, the office of innovation and technology, records department, you know, a lot of the, the, the facets of government that touch administration. And I have, you know, some responsibilities within that office on like strategically where we're headed in, in terms of procurement and contracting. So I think that gives you a little bit of background. You know, I, I think we were going to talk a little bit about sort of, are we centralized, decentralized? And, and the city of Philadelphia is, you know, kind of has a duality of both centralized and decentralized contracting, but I can get into that a little bit more. Thank you. Can't wait to hear it. Jen, tell us a little bit about, about your background and you know, what, what your department does and, and how you got into it. Sure. I've been in uh, procurement for about close to 15 years now uh, in public procurement for six. So I come from uh, the private side. For-profit education um, was actually uh, my previous role for over eight years. So in, in um progressively moving uh, up positions, uh, started as a procurement administer, administrator and ended up being the manager of procurement operations uh, by the time I left. Uh, came to the city in 2015 
it was funny because they said, um, oh, political, how, you know, it'll be more red tape and stuff like that. And I think it's easier because code is code and you follow it. And, um, it, you know, it was a lot, I, I found it actually easier than working in, in the corporate world. But uh, I'm the assistant director for the Office of Management and Budget, and I'm the procurement manager for the city. OMB has uh, three different divisions, capital, operating, and procurement. My office is responsible for you know, having in place all of the contracts that anywhere, anybody across the city is going to use. We are, unlike Philadelphia, we're very centralized. When I came, we were very decentralized uh, and we worked very hard to, to centralize and um, put policies in place that, that were slim to none when, when I arrived. And um, we, we've, we've come a long way in the past uh, six years and I'm excited to talk a little bit about how Pittsburgh has progressed. Awesome. Roughly, what's the general size of the department headcount? My team is nine. The city of Philadelphia, I think, has uh, around 40 staff members in their procurement department. Much okay. bigger city. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. So, so yeah, yet, and it's just interesting because you're more decentralized, yet you have you know, more folks to, um, to sort of manage a lot of the operations. So tell us a little about you know, sort of the decentralized nature of procurement in the city. Sure. For basically any construction project uh, or like acquisition of supplies or equipment and some like maintenance repair services, they run through procurement. But then, you know, for areas of professional services, which is like legal, accounting, um, human services, uh, many IT services, um, they're, they're, they're managed and run by the various departments throughout the city. So, you know, we have different uh, legislation that sort of governs each area of those contracting opportunities. And so that's generally how we're structured, but we're looking at, you know, sort of managing that and, and, and sort of trying to um, align them uh, so that it makes that, that it's easier to understand and it's easier to contract for the city and for the vendors. Jen, you were, when you were, as you were describing it briefly, you really made it sound like Having a more centralized operation is advantageous to the city from a procurement standpoint. Why what would you say are like sort of the, the top two or three reasons why centralization made sense for the city? Yeah, um, when I came, the city was beginning its process of coming out of state oversight in Act 47. When that happened, the procurement department was pretty much decimated and they had a relationship that they orchestrated with Allegheny County whereby which Allegheny County was putting out our commodity bids. And then at that time, each individual department would do their own RFPs, such as um, happens in Philly now. Uh, so when I came on board, um, you know, they were, the mayor had issued an executive order on specifically on procurement reform. Uh, so that's what I was, was brought there to do. Uh, and we realized that while very well intended, uh, the relationship with the county um, it just wasn't working out. They didn't leave enough people on the city end to really execute it well. Um, and the, the team that was there was really just paper pushers in between the departments and the counties. So um, the idea of getting the economies of scale by, by joining the, the, you know, the spend of the two groups really never happened in, in the way that it was intended. So we decided to um, take the administration of our contracts back onto city management rather than going through Allegheny County. And at that time, we implemented our first the procurement tool and went completely online rather than doing uh, paper bits. So we kind of did it all at the same time. 
so uh, one of the one of the first things that we did uh, before before we did that was uh, have the mandate that um, the all all RFPs went through procurement rather than each individual department running their own. Mainly, uh, the biggest thing on our end was compliance and and consistency consistency and standardization. We created one template that everybody used with standard language approved by law, um, but it was just. It was kind of the wild, wild west uh, when I got there. And like I said, we're very little policies other than just references to code. Um, so we really needed to standardize and make sure that you know everything was happening in a consistent manner and that all vendors were being treated the same and equally as well. So uh, that was was one of the big biggest focuses uh, when I first started there. I mean, just to talk a little bit in response to that, I think, you know, I think the city is actually looking to, you know, sort of manage some of the, the decentralized purchasing um, and being able to assess, you know, are there, are like, are there differences between how, the, if departments are, you know, contracting for, with the same vendor for similar services, is one department paying a higher dollar value? Um, so, you know, we're, we're taking, you know, sort of that assessment right now and sort of, um, trying to, you know, dig a little deeper and, and see where we can, you know, sort of implement more of a centralized management uh, around those contracts. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you know, even if it's dotted line oversight, right? Um, it, they, you know, they can write it, they can run it is, you know, if they go through you, at least for some sort of approval, I see a lot of benefits to that. Um, you know, to make sure that you're not buying duplicative things as well. Um, yeah, and that rates are consistent and, you know, you don't have to do it for them, but right. um, just having that, that, you know, overlay, look at it. Um, it could be, could be very, very important. Uh, it could save a lot of money and a lot of effort, uh, very much so in the way of software. Departments would go and buy their own software. They wouldn't be involving our IT department. So we weren't sure if it was something that they could support. Uh, if another department already had something they could use, you know, we were we were having two and three systems that did the same thing. We, we've come a long way in that in that process. Yeah. It's really interesting. And, and, and you know, the pendulum always sort of swings every seven to ten years towards centralization or away from it. So um just parenthetically, when I was with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, we swung it very heavily towards centralization and saw the benefits of it. But then, you know, after we left and a new administration came in, it swung pretty heavily in the other direction. So it's interesting. So as we go through a few topics today, I think it's interesting to look at look at all of them and the way that you've implemented them through the lens of centralized versus decentralized and, and whether you know, having a more centralized organization made it easier to uniformly apply policies, Jen, or, or whether, you know, having decentralized approaches, Trevor, you know, allowed for different approaches, which maybe give you the ability to experiment and try new things in different ways. So it'll be interesting. Um, so speaking of policies, you know, I think one of the most significant policy developments, certainly in the last five years, maybe even going back further, has been a greater push within government to utilize minority, women-owned, small businesses you know, across, the, across the country. I know it's something that's been a, a priority of, of both your cities. So love to hear about, uh, maybe Jen, if you don't mind getting us started, what Pittsburgh's been doing recently when it comes to supplier diversity and love to get Trevor's, Trevor's take on it. And then you can talk a bit about um, how Philadelphia has been, been trying to grow its uh, diverse businesses. 
I could talk a whole hour just about that, but I will try. Next episode. Try to keep it down. Yes. Part two. Yeah. One of, one of the biggest things that we have been focusing on is um, how to make procurement, the, our procurement process easier for these small businesses. Um, you know, how, how do we get them more involved? You know, and a lot of times, you know, the feedback that we were getting was that it was, it was so intimidating and, and so much paperwork and things like that. So about a year, almost two years ago now, uh, before COVID, uh, we were involved with um, Smart Cities uh, sponsored by Citibank. And uh, we had a grant with that that uh, was part of, I think it was cohort seven. So our focus in that, in that year long project in grant was, um, you know, focusing on small businesses and developing them and how uh, we learned, we learned, we learned very quickly that you had to have things in place for all vendors so that you could be, you had to be gender neutral before you could be uh, gender, or I'm sorry, racial neutral and gender neutral before you could be racial or gender focused. So um, we found that there was a lot that we could do for all companies to make our process easier. So one of the, you know, the contracting process, but one of the biggest complaints was the contracting process was just so long and overwhelming. And we had to do, you know, four hard copies of everything and all of this, you know, so um, we went to um, one of the things, you know, for, for debarment, we went to a certificate of debarment that they signed rather than affidavit of debarment that they signed so that, you know, you take the notary out of it, right? which just, just saves time and expense, you know, and time and expense to a small business is huge. Then we also, we went to and implemented electronic signatures through DocuSign. So, you know, again, time and expense, uh, small vendors taking the time to go and physically print four copies. That's an expense to them to mail it or to hand deliver it. Small businesses, you know, there, there are lots of times a one or two man show or, or you know, very, very small. They don't have their own marketing departments to compete with these corporate things. So how do we make it easier, right? Uh, another thing that we did through that was implement a citywide buying plan with the city and its five sister authorities. So what that does, uh, we publish that every quarter and it gives all businesses a one-year outlook as to what the city is going to be purchasing and when. Obviously that's a living, breathing document. Projects change, they get added, they drop off. But it's really been really, really helpful to the small businesses to know that in February, that there's gonna be something they're interested in coming out around in August and that they can then prepare themselves for that in that time frame uh, to get things together like resumes, references and things like that. Uh, and then the, the third big thing that we did as part of that uh, focus on you know, getting more small businesses involved is we did, we coordinated with Pitt's Small Business Development Corporation and their entrepreneurial um, division. And we held three educational sessions on not just doing business with the city, but how small businesses can just develop themselves, generally speaking, and what resources are out there for them through the SBDC and other avenues, mostly for free. You know, they can get financial guidance, they can get help developing marketing materials and all of these things that, um, so um, we, did, we had three of those sessions. There were 
information packets uh, and everything uh, along with each one and we recorded them and they are on our website. So now any, any small business that's interested in looking and getting that information can just go out and, and view them on demand, listen to them. Um, and it covered everything from, you know, how to respond and how to register for our system, how to respond to things, how to get, make your elevator pitch, uh, how to, you know, how to do a one page marketing document for your thing, how to build resumes, too much, too little. Um, they were really, really nice sessions uh, that, that we're pretty proud of. So, uh, and we've had, we've had a lot of success in, in building uh, small, in just breaking down those barriers for small businesses and, and taking them in one step at a time and showing them that it's not quite so intimidating. And here's all of the things that you can do ahead of time to prepare yourself when you are, you know, a very small office. I want to hear from Trevor, but I, but I know you talked to us a little bit about the disparity study. Yeah. So one of the things that we also learned, uh, you know, through that uh, Living Cities grant uh, and, and the meetings and everything was the way that most uh, agencies and government agencies are looking at small business participation is very, very antiquated. Uh, we learned so much that, that there's so many different ways of looking at it now. We just have flat general percentages right now at the city. And we have found through that that um, really, you know, kind of the recommended way to do it now is to get really granular and get the disparity down to the actual type of work that is being done and what the true disparity is in your particular region, not just the old school way of just saying this percentage of minorities, this percentage of women, this percentage of veterans, right? Our council also just introduced legislation to be adding LGBTQIA to that criteria as well. So uh, we're going to be hiring a consultant to come in and help us draft an RFP uh, and figure out, hey, you know, we, we want to, you know, what's out there, what's in the market, and, and how do we, you know, when we go to do a disparity study in, in the next year or so, what's the best approach, uh, you know, to doing that, and what are, what are all of the different ways of doing that now, and helping us to build, you know, build a really good RFP to really mix up our program, right, and, and, target, really target the areas that need it um, and that there is true disparity. Um, you know, maybe there's not disparity in, you know, construction, but maybe there is in IT or, you know, whatever, but I mean, it, it, you know, so that's, that's kind of what we're looking to do to really just um, really modernize um, how we, how we handle the, the um, participation of, of those subcontracted vendors with, with the, countries. And also, you know, how do we get them to be primes? You know, how do we build those businesses up and lift them up and, and get them, get them the work um, to grow their businesses as well. So it's administration is, is a big priority of, of, of the Peduto administration to, to do that. I know it's been a priority in, in Philadelphia for, for many mayors. Yes. Um, or tell me about a little bit about sort of Maybe not the history, but you know, today, what is the what is the priority when it comes to utilizing you know diverse businesses in the city? And what does the city do to try to sure. expand opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I think the the city of Philadelphia has you know is it's it's a majority minority city, so you know we you know obviously want to contract with 
with minority businesses and women-owned businesses as much as possible because you know we do re- we do realize that the the more that we can add diversity and equity to the contracts that we're awarding i mean really you know it really betters the business marketplace as a whole so it's been a priority for for the city for many years and and you know we typically set you know a pretty high goal for ourselves um, which I think is like 35 or 40 percent this year and we get we get pretty close to achieving that um, to be honest with you uh, you know I think you know there are, there are there are ways that we change and measure and um, and I won't go into all the specifics on that but you know I think part of you know, this administration's goal is is really to, you know, sort of make it a, a holistic, you know, sort of ownership amongst the city. You know, I, I talk about, so, you know, before we had a, an office of economic opportunity, which still exists, which sort of, you know, helps facilitate and, and you know, get businesses registered and, and, and help conduct, um, you know, how to do business with the city. Through organizational change, you know, what we've really done is, is, really taken a look at, you know, sort of what what departments are doing a really good job at this and really highlighting them in, you know, sort of like, you know, meetings and just saying, hey, uh, DBHIDS is doing really fantastic, you know, and really every month we have, you know, these large department uh, depart- or leadership level meetings that, you know, we, we highlight one or two departments that are doing an extraordinary job in, in, um, in, in their contracting. And so, I mean, I think some of the benefits to like decentralized contracting is you can make them responsible for some of the contracting and 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 what they're doing with their with their dollar because i don't think it's going to really make a change without everybody sort of saying yeah this is this is an ownership that we want to take responsible for or responsibility for i mean the the only other thing that i wanted to sort of highlight is when our current mayor came on or was elected you know, he started a rebuild program, which is really focused on revitalizing parks and, and recs, rec centers and libraries. And, and he really wanted, uh, I mean, construction is an industry in, in, in the city of Philadelphia that's been dominated by white men, to be honest with you. And he, he was like, no, we need to have a, a high level of participation. And so they've done a really good job of helping businesses grow. And, and they've done a partnership with you know, economic development agencies who've really, you know, sort of taken a level of training um, in helping businesses grow through startup to mid-level to, so that they can, at the end of this rebuild program, which is, looks like it's going to go for six to eight years, they'll be, you know, at a, at a, at a capacity that they could compete for mid-level or high-level jobs with the city of Philadelphia. What's interesting in, in listening to both of you is that, you know, the solution here is not, there's not one solution, right, to, to make this work, but there are some common threads. There's the idea of sort of making the processes internal, you know, not so onerous that companies that don't have a huge infrastructure be able to respond to a bid or pay the cost of you know, notaries and things like that, uh, you know, make it as easy as possible, number one. Number two, you know, shine a light on on people inside the city that are doing great work and have results to show from it. And then third, you both talked about the significant amount of outreach that it requires to be out there in the community, talking to 
diverse businesses every day and helping them, encouraging them to, to compete for, for work with the city and, and helping giving them the tools and probably more important, the training to be successful. And it's really exciting to hear it. And um, I would encourage you and, and anyone who's listening also to listen to a, a previous podcast I did a little while back with the procurement director from Nebraska who had a very similar approach. They called it the concierge program, which I think speaks for itself. So really exciting to see what, what you are doing uh, in the area of, of supplier diversity. Let's turn now to another area where I think governments can lead the way and it's around sustainability and social responsibility. And the, the fact that you know, our planet is not getting any cooler and there are organizations like governments who spend a lot of money and have a lot of influence and can try to do something to try to help um, you know, combat you know, climate change. So uh, let's start again with you, if you don't mind, Jen, and, and then hear uh, Trevor's thoughts on it. Yeah, Pittsburgh has been doing a ton of work around this, especially in the past year. Mayor Peduto has uh, currently uh, an executive order to be fossil fuel free by 2030. Um, so we are doing a ton with electric vehicles and electric vehicle infrastructure across the city. We are going to be buying our uh, first two fully electric bucket trucks. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we're also new on the market um, is electric refuse vehicles. So those will probably be in the next year or so. Right now, we've been working to change our fleet from our, our ES fleet from diesel to CNG. And we recently put in uh, our own CNG fueling station uh, at our environmental services facility. But um, I think the biggest thing that, that Pittsburgh has done in the past, the mayor has been a member of ICLE for a long time. And just this past September, their GLCN network, which is the Global Lead City Network, uh, asked Pittsburgh to join as part of their, their uh, global alliance on sustainable and socially responsible procurement. So we're the only, uh, the, only the second United States city to be asked to be part of that. So uh, other than Denver, really, really proud of that, uh, that they recognize the great work that our administration has been doing in regard to climate change and social responsibility. So uh, we're also currently working with Bloomberg What Works Cities and the Harvard Government Performance Lab on outcomes-based procurements. And we are looking at ways to add performance indicators and, and track the outcomes of our vendors, um, mainly with that sustainability and social responsibility lens. So how do, how do we show our progress on, on these uh, climate goals and workforce development goals that we have across the city? So pretty exciting stuff again I could you know go on for another hour about that so um but yeah we're we're doing we're doing so much from you know reducing chemicals to um we just did uh we just awarded a new energy RFP just signed that contract and the electricity for the city is now going to be required to be 100% renewable energy wow so that's huge for us so Lots of lots of big wins in, in that and and much, much more to come. So pretty pretty remarkable, in my opinion, for a city like Pittsburgh that for you know my entire childhood and, and early adulthood, you know, was really seen as manufacturing city, you know, a city very close to coal mining, you know, things that you wouldn't so wouldn't associate associate with 
you know, being on a real leading edge of, you know, clean energy and sustainability, but it's, uh, I think, a really interesting sort of proxy for what Pittsburgh has become as a real, you know, technology town, a academic, very academic city, uh, and the transformation of the city is incredible. And I think the procurement policies of the city reflect that, you know, the, the change in the, in the way the city is run, the way the city perceives itself. I have a follow-up question from a procurement standpoint, especially in with electric vehicles and kind of a more emerging industry. Is there anything different from a procurement standpoint that these companies might have less past performance in the public sector? Um, is there anything that changes the way that you go about those procurements? Yeah, we've definitely, we've just been when following our typical process, um, but um, one of the biggest things that we've done has been, you know, as having to partner with the parking authority and our, um, the electric provider in the city is Duquesne Light. So coordinating with them to build that charging infrastructure. And, and we want to expand that, you know, the mayor's working with the part the Pittsburgh parking authority, you know, to have more, uh, have them get more electric vehicle charging just for the community, not just, not just the city vehicles, right, but to encourage citizens to purchase electric vehicles and things like that to give them because if they're, they're bopping around town and everything, they need, they need a place to charge, right? So we want to provide that and draw them to that because the rest of the, the, the city and the state or whatever is not going to follow if you don't provide them the, the public resources you know, to support that. Trevor, do you want to add a, a word on sustainability quickly before we move on to, uh, to COVID? As government, I think this is, you know, incredibly important. Uh, and I don't have a tremendous amount of, you know, information from, you know, the, the, the city of Philadelphia. I mean, I do know that we, we've made the Office of Sustainability a permanent office in the city of Philadelphia. I think there are, you know, some ways that we've built into existing processes to get sustainability involved so that they're making incremental changes in how we're going about purchasing. But I think that, you know, to Jen's point, like, you know, we have, we actually, it may have just ended, but like we had a, a, a credit for people that put uh, solar panels on their, on their houses. Like this is tremendously important to our, uh, you know, our future uh, as. Motivate and lead by example, right, Trevor? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'll ask you a quick lightning round question. Do you, do you today or could you see in the future a scenario where a company's sort of sustainability track record is a evaluation criteria? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that 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 would absolutely be considered. All right, let's jump into a topic that we all probably wish we didn't have to, but um, you know, clearly, you know, the world of, of procurement and supply chain was changed you know for the next generation or two after last year and the heroic work that, that both of you did and, and your organizations did in battling COVID. There's been a lot of stories written about how governments were able to get PPE under incredible duress to the front lines. And we don't have to add to that um, incredible narrative that's already been told. But I am interested in, in you know any other sort of stories that came out of COVID, any sort of enduring silver linings that came out of the, the, the year plus of COVID where you were, you were forced to make changes and those changes are things that will you know, outlive 
you know, the, the, the trauma of COVID. I mean, I, I could speak to this a little bit. So I, I actually, you know, I think it, it, it's created an opportunity to, you know, sort of change uh, operations, you know, and I, and I think about it changes the way that we meet. We wouldn't, we may not have had this podcast if we didn't have uh, COVID, you know. Uh, so I, I think for the city of Philadelphia, we've really um, been able to have a structured way uh, or a regular way to communicate with a variety of people. It's not just contracting people. It's not just procurement people. It's not just finance people, but it's project managers and engineers and, and really, you know, sort of set a, setting aside a time to like, hey, you know, you're, you're part of this process. We, we can address topics of contracting that are of interest to you. And, and so we've, you know, been able to survey and, and sort of define, you know, areas of interest for, for a broad um, group of people. Um, and we've had several hundred people <laughs> attend, you know, it's been fantastic, you know, and, and I don't think, you know, that wouldn't have happened if COVID didn't happen. So I, I look at that as like a really, really positive thing uh, in terms of, you know, and I feel like we've been able to do that in different areas, like whether it's finance or it's just how you're engaging the staff that, that is important. Can you talk a little bit early on about e-signatures and, and DocuSign? It felt like that was a really nice thing that came out of, you know, some of the COVID time with being able to accelerate that. Yeah, definitely. I have to say that our e-signature process was definitely one of the silver linings and that we were, you know, people were very, you know, very cautious, very nervous about it in the beginning. And, you know, we started it in January, uh, you know, as part of our Living Cities cohort and very quickly, you know, it, it, it was supposed to just be for, uh, you know, a quicker process for our low bid contract. And it very quickly turned into every contact in the entire city. And now people realize how great it is, how easy it is, how simple it is. And then they don't want to go back and add on the, the sustainability benefits to the paper reduction, the time, you know, not just employee and time reduction, right. To make it easier for our vendors, but the waste, the paper, the, you know, things getting lost. It, it's just been, it's just been wonderful to have that tool. And, and, you know, we kind of just got really lucky as compared to a lot of other agencies who that really allowed us to, you know, be fully remote up until this point, you know, we're going to be going back a few days a week now in July, but without that, it, you know, the whole, it would have been very, very difficult. So the amazing, you know, we've been doing a lot of work in the sustainability arena and just the reduction of paper across the city is, would blow your mind. So hopefully once we go back, some of those habits will, will stay in place. You know, I was even myself, I've been guilty of, you know, wanting to print something out and write on it and highlight it. And, you know, I don't, I don't have a printer at home, so I haven't been able to print anything in 15, 16 months, right? Um, it, you know, it's really forced people who were hesitant uh, to use all these wonderful technology tools that we have and kind of forced people's hands and they finally, you know, they realized that, hey, you know, this is a better way to go and, and uh, um, it has a lot of benefits. So hopefully that will continue and, and people won't revert. 
I was I was going to say like sort of coupled with that that you know it's 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 interesting that COVID there are cer- certain projects that there was resistance to before COVID and then COVID happened and it actually opened up you know some of that you know for the city of Philadelphia like we were looking at like is there we don't have an ERP system so we don't you know we don't have a way to collect uh, electronically collect invoices and to it, it's really very disparate it's really left up to every department to like yes I collect them it could be sitting on somebody's desk for days if that person left the city of Philadelphia and retired it could just sit in their desk for months and you know it's like where like when am I going to get paid you know like but you know it, it really enabled us to like sort of start we were looking at this before the pandemic but it really accelerated that and um you know, we, we've now had, you know, over 900, you know, invoices that have been submitted electronically that it's just been fantastic to look at how we're adopting to new technology and, and making ourselves a little bit more agile while doing that. Yeah, definitely. It's it definitely pushed departments and, and people who were, people are fearful of change. It's just yeah. human nature and it, it's forced the hand of, of, of a lot and, and really um, you know, seen some, some nice improvements. I, I, I dream of an electronic invoicing system. <laughs> it would be, it would, it would be like, uh, the best birthday present ever. Yeah. And I know one of the, the downsides of, well, the many downsides of, of the last year has been not everywhere, but in a lot of cities, it's created a lot of budgetary pressure with lost tax revenue. You know, are there, are there certain things that either city has been accustomed to doing for years that you just don't have the luxury of being able to do anymore, you know, memberships, events, travel, conferences, hiring people, other, other places that have been, you've had your, you had to, or you're going to have to make, you know, significant cuts. Um, I mean, for the city, you know, I, I mean, this next fiscal year, you know, because of Biden's administration, we didn't have to make dr- drastic cuts to you know our operations um and it, it's really a wait and see you know how will we respond and, and what will the economy look like and what will our revenues look like president biden had put out you know like hey he wanted to get 70 percent of americans with one uh vaccine at least one vaccine by july 4th the city actually hit that mark this past week like we hit 70 percent of our of our adult population like with one with one vaccine like which is fantastic. And, and things seem to be opening up and there, there does seem to be, you know, sort of more um, opportunity, and business growth and revenue, but it's going to take a while. And it's really going to see, like, we're going to have to see what that six months from now, nine months from now, and reevaluate that landscape. Fortunately, we don't have, we haven't had to make significant cuts. I mean, there were some cuts, you know, that we, we faced last year, but right now there, there isn't anything. How about, how about you, Jen, over on in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I, def- I definitely agree that it that it's a, a, a wait and see. But yes, very, very thankful for President Biden and the package that he put together that actually brought it down to the city level, you know, and the, the local municipality uh, level. So where, where honestly, I think, it, you know, it's really needed the most, right, to support those day-to-day operations. But yeah, it, and I, I agree with Trevor. It's definitely going to be a wait and see, and there's going to be long-term effects to to budget and everything. But yeah, fortunately, um, you know, we this Pittsburgh 
was, you know, we were going to be able to get ourselves through July or through June. And then if we didn't get that funding, you know, we would have had some significant layoffs that would have really, really affected the types of, uh, you know, the services that we were in and that we would be able to provide the community. So thank goodness for that, uh, that we don't have to have those cuts. And, you know, we're going to be able to reinstate some of the programs that that we weren't able to to have. but, you know, with a procurement focus, you know, like Trevor said, this is going to have effects three, four years from now on, on businesses and, and our, our tax revenues as cities. And it's going to be ever more important for, you know, procurement to make sure that our vendors have sharp pencils and that we really are getting the best value for the city on things that we purchase. Well, I, I can't think of a better place to end it. Um, and we'll... We'll check back with you guys maybe in a year or so and you can tell us um, how sharp those pencils have proven to be and how compliant people have been with, with some of the policies that we talked about today. But really can't thank Trevor or Jen enough for coming on to the podcast and sharing your incredible stories from two very different cities in the same state that have, are both doing some really incredible things that I think people across the country, uh, if they're not already paying attention to, really should be. So. Thank you both very much. Uh, Thanks as always to Bernadette. Um, And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to Decisions That Matter. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you again next time.